Welcome to the Nonprofit Hub Radio Podcast, where we highlight nonprofit innovators, leaders, and influencers every week that are changing the sector for the better. I'm your host, Delaney Molinex, Executive Director of Nonprofit Hub. If you're not for profit and all for purpose, you're in the right place. You see, we know you're already doing good, but we've designed this podcast to help nonprofit professionals find growth, joy, and connection. So tune in weekly for new episodes to elevate your cause, spread the news, and share the resources we share with you. We want to thank Asana for sponsoring today's episode of the Nonprofit Hub Radio podcast. Want to amplify your nonprofit's impact? Asana helps you collaborate more efficiently across teams so you can put more time and resources toward your mission. Go to asana.com slash nonprofit to get 50% off. That's asana, A-S-A-N-A dot com slash nonprofit. everyone, Delaney here, Executive Director at Nonprofit Hub. Today I speak with Grant Gooding. He is the founder and CEO of Proof Positioning. After several hundred iterations, the Proof Method stands alone as one of the most compelling and accurate ways to quantify human emotion. And Grant has spent lots of time putting together the 10 things that he's learned after doing this for 10 years and shares how nonprofits can do market research to resonate with your donors and say the right things to the right people. Today, I am joined by Grant Gooding. He is the founder and CEO of Proof Positioning. We're going to talk about market research. And I know that sounds like a super fun topic for everybody, but it's so necessary um, in the nonprofit space so that you can say the right thing to the right people. Um, Grant, welcome. Uh, thanks, Delaney. I appreciate the fact that you acknowledge it's not the world's most interesting topic, but we certainly do our best to uh, uh, remedy that. Yeah. So um, share a little bit more with everyone what your background is, what proof positioning does. Yeah. So uh, my, my background was actually in mergers and acquisitions. Uh, I was an analyst and worked a lot with integration. So putting two companies together, that's a lot of fun, um, but I have a business background and I was a consumer of market research in that role. Mm-hmm. And I was rarely ever satisfied with it or even thought it was relevant or not a complete waste. So started monkeying around with different types of methodologies to be better at my job and sort of got lucky and stumbled into a few things over the years that are somewhat novel and have been pretty successful at helping organizations figure out the right things to say. And uh, it's a combination of having good technology and, um, you know, having smart people to interpret that technology and and Mm -hmm. data. Um, That's where we are today. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing everything that you've learned, all of these novel strategies that you've stumbled across. Um, Also, I think the nonprofit sector could probably use your help in in acquisitions and merging too. So (laughs) maybe that's something you guys can start doing as well. It's it's got, it's an inevitability, right? uh, It's just going to be, you know, in any, in any acquisition, it has to be a win-win. If it's not, the parties are not going to move forward. And there are, uh, in my experience anyway, 
EDs and founders and nonprofits are substantially more emotionally resonant around the subject matter and letting that go or just casually merging that in with someone else may make a lot of logistical financial sense, but letting go of that ethos is really, really hard. So it needs to happen, but I'm not wildly optimistic it's going to happen at the rate that it should in order to make sure that the, the sector is sustained. Yeah. Yeah. It's unfortunate. We always say win, win, win. So the two parties benefit, but also the party that's benefiting from you guys is winning as well. So what are some of these lessons that you've learned over the years about measuring people? I think that's the term you, you published an article about measuring people. So what exactly does that mean? And what have you learned? Yeah, we measure people all day. Uh, (laughs) We we have a pretty interesting and unique way that we do it. Uh, But there are some pretty static lessons that have come out of looking at hundreds and hundreds of data sets around human beings and why they buy things, why they donate money. And that was probably probably one of the more popular things I've I've written, uh, probably just because it was simple. Yeah, (laughs) we like simple. (laughs) I read a lot of nerdy stuff. Yeah, keep it simple for us, Grant. (laughs) Well, there's a few things that are true, not only in the nonprofit sector, but are also true in in private sector and public and, and privately owned companies. And a few of those things are are not true, right? Like one of the one of them is is no one cares how it works, and. In the nonprofit sector, that's actually not true. Uh, people, donors do care how it works. That That is certainly one thing that is a different, right? Like what how, what are the operations? How is the, you know, how is the sausage made essentially? In the private sector for a business, no one cares. Right. Uh, but they do care in, in, in the nonprofit sector. So they, they, um, we should probably modify this and have Katie help, help with that uh, to put together like a modified for nonprofit sector list like the differences, um, that, would, that might be really interesting. But that would be cool, yeah. But uh, maybe we'll do that, and we'll send it over to you, and you can you can distribute. But ah, of course, um, the uh, the golden rule essentially is that human beings do business with human beings. Period, and that is a universal truth. It doesn't matter. Uh, it, it, there might be a piece of technology that's in the way, like Amazon. Like maybe the best argument against that would be to say, yeah, but I buy stuff on Amazon all the time. I'm not buying from a person. But, well, you, you actually are without realizing it. And it's not necessarily that there's a person on the other end of the transaction. But when it comes to the decision-making process that you make when you're purchasing something, let's say that you look on Amazon and you're not, and you're not quite sure what it is. What do you do? What, if, what do you do to establish credibility to alleviate fear in your brain? You look at the reviews. Mm-hmm buying from people, whether you realize it or not. And those people are influencing your decisions. Yeah. So the universal rule is like, if you're pitching a major donor or you're putting together a communication that's going to go out for an annual campaign or an appeal of some kind, the subject matter is we're helping whatever um, organization, group, or cause. Sure, that should be the primary context. But you even realize that there, you're a person on the other end of that and the, the disposition that the funder has towards you in many ways is just as important as the disposition they have towards the subject matter. Yeah. I mean, those are the most successful fundraisers, the ones that have strong relationships, strong networks. 
people will follow them wherever they go. I don't think, I mean, sometimes, you know, you hear this is like a problem within the fundraising space is that sometimes fundraisers leave, executive directors leave, and then donors leave with them because that relationship was so strong with the person. Um, so I think like, we also have to be careful there, right. That like, we're, we're establishing donors, the relationship with the mission as well, just as strongly as with the person. But like, to your point, that's where it starts usually as a person. Well, same thing happens in private businesses with salespeople, right? They follow the salespeople and it's like, wait a minute, you're not agents. Yeah. Like you're loyal to my company. They're like, no, I'm loyal to a human being because human beings interact with human beings. That's just the way it is. Yeah. So it's, 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 it's challenging. You know, one of the things that, um, that I know Katie always says, uh, on our end, uh, Katie runs our, our runs our nonprofit division is she's like, Hey, you're development people. Um, because if they leave, you're exactly right. And yeah. it's like, no, 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 no. They're here because of the cause. Like, don't be so sure. Yeah. Don't be so sure. Right. We're, we're not, we're not, um, we, we don't quite operate, uh, as, as, as though we should on paper. Mm-hmm. I also thought something that was really interesting in that article that, I mean, one of them was that people do business with people. Another one that I, that I think resonated with me is that no one cares about your awards and your, your accomplishments. <laughs> Um, talk a little bit more about that one. Like, where did you, where did that come from? Uh, part of, part of our, our process of, of how we approach research is we're, we're trying to find the messages and the things that are most likely to motivate someone. And so during that process, we throw all kinds of stuff against the wall, right? Um, so you can imagine all of the, all of the, the messages and value props that your organization might put out to convince someone to donate money. Well, one of those things might be, well, we won the gold such and such award for being, you know, whatever, or we won this community award for whatever. And so we, we sort of just noticed offhand that a lot of those types of messages would always score really low. We thought that was interesting. So we went back and looked at the last 100 studies that we had done where we had analyzed, we won an award or we're top XYZ. And we consistently saw them at the bottom of the lists that we were testing. Yeah. And so um, the big takeaway there is no one cares about you, right? Like as far as the entity, it's just a medium for you to do something. Yeah. And a lot of people would make uh, a, uh, might push back on that and be like, wait a minute. How, like, if we won this award, it shows that we're doing good things and that should give our customers or our donors confidence that we're doing a good job and that we are a trustworthy place to put your money. But in actuality, we found that those messages on their face, as a matter of fact, I didn't think we ever even saw in a we won an award type of a, a concept score in the top 10. So we're like, literally every time you say that, you're mathematically decreasing the probability of you getting money. Wow. So just don't bring it up. But you know what? It's probably a really great culture thing. So yes. yeah. write it really big on the wall in the office because it's great for morale for your employees and your volunteers and things like that. But if you're using it to make money, you're failing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I agree with that. I think it's huge for building team morale. That was like one of the most exciting things. I worked for a neuropsychological institute and we would always want to be designated as like a top provider in the Grand Rapids area. And that was such an exciting thing for us to do every year. Um, 
And yeah, I think like announcing it to the team, like you said, might've had better, like positive consequences than us sending it out in a newsletter to like everyone else that like came there for therapy. Uh, so yeah, I think that's true. Um, and I mean, I, I'm hearing that, that this is true across the, the private sector and the nonprofit sector. So, I mean, I mean, what are your thoughts on, and you, I mean, you can, de- you can decline to answer this. I mean, what are your thoughts on like, there's a lot of award systems for nonprofits, right? Like there's, you know, you go on charity navigator, you can have guide star ratings, all that kind of a stuff you're saying still do it. Right. Cause there's positive consequences. I think not only, not only even like the publicity of it, but I think the positive consequence of those rating systems has benefit towards your mission. Like, right. Like these things are kind of hoping to judge how well you're doing things and your impact. So it's inherently saying you're doing things well by getting this designation. It just doesn't necessarily have to be used for publicity. I think it's a great publicity tool. I think that's actually the the point, right? So um, imagine, imagine that you get to, well, I'll give you two points, right? So um, first of all, the human mind averages the value of information for the most part, right? So let's just say, so, uh, I get, you're, you're a donor and I'm trying to convince you to, I'm trying to use the value props of the mission and the vision of our organization. And I'm going to talk to you about those things. And every value prop I make is going to have a number in your head from zero to 100. Our scale works from zero to 100. Okay. So let's say that I say something to you and it absolutely resonates. It's personal. There's something in your, something in your family or some clause, that's, some cause that's really close to you. And it scored really, really well, right? It's like a hundred. Okay. And then the next thing I say gives, you're like, eh, it's a 50. The brain doesn't like throw that out and it's still, you're still at a hundred. It's not the way it works. It's actually averages, more closely averages that information. You're at 75. So what, what does that mean? That means you literally lowered the emotional resonance of the overall value of the organization to that specific individual. Mm. It's like, if you stay at a high point and you say the right thing, do you need to say anything else? Yeah. You actually shouldn't. You should say that and then shut up. And that will actually uh, substantially increase your probability of getting um, getting a, a donation or, or whatever it is you're trying to accomplish. Yeah. I mean, that's so applicable, especially I feel like in emails, you might have like hooked that person in the first paragraph and then you said something and like now you're telling me that yeah. you're like decreasing their, their email. So, so if that's true, then let's, to your point, right? Let's think about the types of things that we say. Well, if we know that the emotional resonance of we won an award is really, really low, why would you, right? If we know that mathematically it's down here, why would you bring it up? Because the, the, all probability would state that there is a, a litany of other things that you could say that are going to substantially increase the emotional resonance of that individual. Yeah. If that thing's at the bottom, you're literally lowering your ability to make money. Yeah. By saying it. So just don't say it. Now, is it a great way to build awareness through PR? Um, yeah, I think it's great. So I really think that's where those, those, those types of awards and things are valuable. It's like a reminder because you put it on LinkedIn or your Facebook or Instagram account or whatever. And it kind of, it gives a, a moment of pride to your, your existing donor Affirmation base. To your oh, they're doing a good job. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, you certainly wouldn't go, Hey, we just won this award. Would you like to increase your donation to us this month? No. Right. Like that's not going to work. It's really just more of like a, a, a tiny little, 
incremental motivator. Uh, uh, so I, uh, we follow the math and yeah. um, we would just not recommend using that in language. Okay. Excellent. This is, this is awesome information. Um, well, can you explain market research to our listeners um, and how that applies to the nonprofits? So market research can be used for lots of things. Most people, when they think about market research in the nonprofit space, think of two things. One uh, is like a, a, a donor assessment, right? Looking at the, um, hey, hey, you know, what else does our donor give to? What's their net worth? All that, that, that type of stuff. And that can tell you that that gives you some information. That's great. There's nothing wrong with that. And then the second thing is uh, like segmentation work. Uh, and, and that can help build personas and a few other things that can be helpful. Um, but where we focus is in something much more specific and very different, which is, uh, our, our job literally is to help make you money. Yeah. We, we don't really have a whole lot of purposes other than that. Sometimes we can help organizations increase their volunteers and if they have some glaring issues that they need um, figured out. But for the most part, if you're talking to us, you're trying to increase donations. Well, how do you do that, right? You can, if you don't have information, then all you do is increase your appeal, uh, like your frequency of appeal, which may or may not work. Yeah. So what we can do is help you identify the things that you need to say to specific groups or audiences or individuals that will mathematically increase your chances of saying the right thing to them so that that number stays really high and um, you are uh, uh, increasing your chances of, of, of generating more revenue. So that's literally like the only thing that, that, that we do uh, is, help, is help figure that out. And the, the methodology we use is, is rooted in combination of neuroscience and behavioral economics. So, for instance, our methodology uses um, a, a timing mechanism where we can identify when you hit what's called a viscerally emotive response. So, when you make a decision as a human being, the information comes into the amygdala of your brain and then it goes right to your limbic system, which is where your memories and emotions and belief systems are all stored and processed. The smart brain up here, it's called the frontal lobe, that's where we do complex decision making a lot of organizations make this mistake and they make appeals to this smart part of the brain. It's the worst thing you can do because this part of the brain is physiologically cannot make a decision. Okay. What happens is it's the calculator that the limbic system turns on and off. So we are completely emotional human beings or, or completely emotional species or, or we, we trick ourselves into thinking we use logic and reason. We don't. Think about your life. <laughs> you, n almost nothing you do is based or rooted in logic and reason. And even though, but we'll sort of convince ourselves, uh, which is funny, like there's like this, this battle going on, like, hey, should I do this? Absolutely not. Eh, I'm going to do it anyway. Right. Yeah. And that's, you know, we eat what we shouldn't. We drink too much. We buy things we can't afford. You think our logic brain's making that decision? Right. It absolutely will ignore the logic. And so what we do is we talk to this part of the brain because we think it sounds smart. And the problem with that is when you do that, you lose the emotional resonance, which is where all of our decision-making capacity exists. Mm. So stop talking to the smart brain 
and start talking to the dumb, dumb brain. The more you do that, the more successful you will be over time. So we use that basic neuroscience principle and a a timing mechanism, like as I mentioned, uh, because we can figure out based on how fast you read and respond to our system, the types of messages that are going to fall within the belief system of the person that is a respondent, or if they had to like think about it, because if they had to think about it, it's probably not a good value prop, right? Like we say, like sales go to die <laughs> up here. If you if your person says, oh, I want to think about that. Is that what you want to hear? You do not want to hear that. That is not the way the brain works. So we can identify using a, millis- using a millisecond timing mechanism if one of the value props that we, have u- that we have tested is going to resonate with a donor, and then we can identify what to say to that donor. Uh, and we have a very high um, uh, uh, confidence that, that, that there are certain messages that are going to work with this donor group or with this, with this one individual donor if you're doing a large appeal. And we can use that to figure out the differences between audiences, right? Uh, somebody that gives monthly, somebody that gives annually, somebody that goes to an event, somebody that's never gone to an event. What's it, do we have to use different messages for like a donor versus a volunteer? Maybe they look at the organization differently, which often, oftentimes they do. And so we have to figure out, okay, if you want to increase donors, you got to use this, mess- this messaging set. If you want to increase volunteers, you have to use this messaging set because they're different. So that's how you can really take the idea of market research, which inherently is boring on its face, admittedly, and turn it into something that is interesting, um, can help you actually make money, is very actionable, and can help you make uh, positive changes to your messaging strategy, your development strategy, uh, your emailing, and all those things to ensure that you're minimizing waste and maximizing the probability of something good happening. Want to amplify your nonprofit's impact? Asana's powerful work management platform helps you collaborate effortlessly across teams so you can put more time and resources toward your mission. From program delivery and fundraising campaigns to volunteer management and more, manage all your work teams in Asana. Nonprofits get 50% off and resources from their team. Head to asana.com nonprofit to grab your discount. That's Asana, A-S-A-N-A, dot com slash nonprofit. I think the whole saying that you have, say the right things to the right people, there's two different components of that, the right thing and the right people. And I feel like that's important just to like call out in the first place because those, that kind of like spins off, right? It's like all these different categories of people and then you're going to have to find the right thing to say. And you want to find the emotional data. I mean, how, how are you finding the emotional data? Like if you, if you know things about the right people, how are you deciding what's the right thing to say? Well, so organizations are already saying it. All we're doing is we're applying a mathematical system to the things that they're saying so that we can measure. If you put a number to something, it becomes extremely dangerous. Yeah. Okay. So once you have a number that's associated with something, I mean, you, you, now you can do all kinds of stuff with it. So if I can, if I can identify um, our metadata system uses, that's what emotional data is, it's our metadata system. But that, if we can identify the message that's most likely to work with an audience, 
then we can segment that by anything, right? We can segment it by their donor behavior. We can segment it by their attendance to events. We can segment it by their favorite color. I mean, whatever you want. Yeah. And then we can, and because, and every time we do that, we can see if the number changes. And that's how we can, that's how we come up with very simple insights. It says, hey, look, the highest emotional resonance that exists in your organizations is using this message with this audience. So the yeah. more times you do that, the more uh, likely you are to um, have a really great email campaign or event or, 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 or whatever. Yeah. So this is like kind of the act of optimizing, kind of like what you're already using and optimizing it. Probability that you're not saying something that's going to resonate is very, very low, right? It's not like you haven't sat down and thought about all the things that could be valuable, valuable around the mission of your organization. Right. You already know those things. That's not the hard part. The hard part is, hey, which of these things that we're saying that not only eight people don't care about, but might be actually losing us money? Yeah. You see that a lot. It's like, stop saying this. No one cares but you. Every time you say you're losing money, stop. Uh, and, and so it's not, it's not like, oh, what are new messages? It's what are all the things that we're saying and how should we be saying them and to whom? It's aligning all those variables. That's the hard part. Got it. Okay. One of the other things that you said in the article about all of these lessons that you learned in measuring people um, was about over-communicating and a fear of over-communicating and that in all of the research that you've done, there's almost never been a time where more communication has led to like a decrease in like return on investment or something like that. Um, speak to that because I know that a lot of nonprofit professionals they're afraid of over-communicating. And anytime we do a webinar, anytime we do something on email communication, um, talking to people, calling people, they're all afraid that people are going to be irritated. They're going to unsubscribe, right? Like this is the overarching fear. Like how do you, what's the story? So it's something that we hear all the time. And most of the time we find that people actually aren't even asking for money enough. And, And that's not, and that's basic stuff. Okay. Most of the time, the fear is I don't want to ask someone for money over and over and over again because then I'll lose it. You probably will, right? Because especially if you're not hitting on the right emotions. So let's let's pretend that we know the types of things that are going to motivate a donor, right? Well, that doesn't mean that every time we communicate them, we have to ask them for money, right? Why don't we give them updates on, hey, here's what's happening with this thing, right? You uh, donated to X and that led to this project, right? Or this campaign or this um, program being issued. This is how many people we have. Just an update. This is how many people we have in the program right now. We're starting next week. It's going to be really exciting. That's a great communication. You're not asking them for money, right? You're just giving them an update on something that they've invested in. If you were going through, if you had hired someone to do a large project for you, like do a website, are you going to be upset every time they email you? I'd be like, oh my God, these updates are super annoying. Uh, I can't believe they're giving me all these updates. Let me know. You're, you love that. That's- oh, you're definitely emotionally invested in a new website. <laughs> yes. So I don't think anybody has ever said, I wish, I wish my web company would stop emailing me. I hate all of these updates. You want to see those updates. Yeah. Like, those things are important. It's an important process to you, just like the money that you donate to an organization is, or, or the money that um, uh, is donated by a donor is important to them. Give them an update. 
Yeah. You can over communicate in simple ways. That's how human beings work, right? That's what a text, I mean, it's a text message. You're letting your friend know, hey, I'm over here. It, it, you know, so people, it, it's totally irrational that people think we're going to annoy folks. It's the subject matter that you have to think. If you send them a newsletter full of a bunch of generic crap, yeah, they're probably going to get annoyed by that because it's not relevant to them. Yeah. So finding, finding the right types of things to say that are small doses that are relevant and, and, and emotionally resonant to your donor is, is great. Yeah. And absolutely something that people should not be. We hear it all the time. No, no, no. If we send them another one, they're going to be like, no, they're not. If you ask them for money again, they might. Because you failed to hit on the emotional cord that's going to that's going to convince them that they should be doing it. Yeah. So once you understand what 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 moves them, you communicate as much as you want. Yeah, absolutely. Way back in the day when I first started in a marketing career, I read an article from HubSpot, and it was about email marketing. And we had been doing email newsletters only. I think it was like once a month or every other month or something like that. And the, the, the blog article was about three things, simplify, segment and send more. And like, just like saying, like telling the company that I like needed to send more was like, so they were like, like gut response, like, don't do it. Like we're, we're going to irritate people, whatever. But like the first two things come first, like you said, simplify your message, make sure you're sending it to the right segment of people. And then you can send as much as you want because they're not going to get irritated by that. That's great. I haven't read that, but that, that sounds exactly right. I'm certainly not an expert in email, but uh, that sounds exactly right. Mm-hmm. Simplify the information, segment it to the appropriate people, and you can increase the frequency and you're going to strengthen the bond that you have with your donors. Yeah. yeah. Well, you have a ton of excellent resources on your website, which is, is it proofpositioning.com? Mm-hmm. Um, one of them that that I especially liked was unleashing personal and organizational exceptionalism. Um, and this was about to stop focusing on your weaknesses and focus on the things that you're doing really well. Um, if you could tell our listeners to check out like one resource or article or something on your page, what would it be? Oh, um, there's a lot on there. There uh, is it's a lot of great stuff. Yeah. Katie writes a lot of stuff and she just has a ton of institutional knowledge around, um, in the nonprofit space. Yeah, tell, us more, tell us more about Katie. I'm assuming you're talking about Katie Lord, but our listeners might not know Katie. Who's Katie? Katie Lord runs our nonprofit division. She's phenomenal. She, uh, she knows all the people. Um, she uh, is like the, the nonprofit butterfly here in Kansas city. <laughs> we, we have clients all over the country, but um, she's a, she's a, a phenomenal resource and she's like the friendliest person ever. So if anybody ever like, oh, you know, make a friend, Katie will be your friend, I promise. And anytime you have a question, she'll probably have an answer because A, she's done it, right? She's, she worked in development she worked for a lot of big, um, big non- national nonprofits, and we have hundreds of nonprofit clients. So she probably has a great case study. Um, we probably have data to answer whatever question it is you have, but she's a great, she's a great person to know. Yeah. Amazing. Okay. Well, if at least people should look at your article about what you've learned in 10 years and measuring people and, and we'll keep our eye out for the nonprofit version of that. Oh, yeah, that's a, uh, we should do that. I'm surprised Katie didn't. Normally she yells at me. She's like, <laughs> you 
you know, I need that for the nonprofit sector. Like, remake that. And she hasn't yelled at me about that yet. So um, <laughs> I'll have to remind her that you should probably be yelling at me to put that together. But um, yeah, we'll read. We'll that's a good idea. We'll redo that and, and then and then send it over. That's incredible. Well, um, we've all I've definitely learned a lot um, in in our conversation today. We we always try to include a segment at the end of every episode that is good news for nonprofits. Uh, what is some good news that you can share with our listeners today? Well, I'm an, sort of an economist by trade, so most of the time it's my job to identify bad things first and then the opportunities based on those bad things. I think there's a lot of things that we should be concerned about um, in the nonprofit space. Um, here's a bright spot. Because um, all the macro trends don't look good. A lot of the organizational trends don't look good. Uh, the good news will always be that you're doing the work that others refuse to do or won't do. Yeah. And, and so you'll always have value as long as, as long as we have a capitalistic system, yeah. right? If we have a capitalistic system, all nonprofits will the go. Need, the demand is always there. We'll always be there. The demand will always be there. So, um, yeah, as long as we have, as long as we have, you know, free choice of what we can do with our money and who we can support, you're always going to need to exist. But the good news, I, I would say, is we are starting to see a lot of nonprofits create social enterprises. Yeah. That is something we always encourage because the, the days of we're gonna do uh, we're gonna do campaigns and we're gonna do grants in order to fund the finances and the infrastructure of the organization, those days are dying and will be done eventually because it's just not sustainable. So finding a thing that your organization can do that provides value to the general populace is probably the healthiest thing that your nonprofit can do. Yeah. And uh, because A, first of all, donors like it because you're creating revenue that is funding the infrastructure of your organization, which means less of their donation goes to overhead, paying salaries and things like and rent and going to um, action in the field, right? We are, they're putting more of their dollars towards helping whomever it is, the subject matter that you're trying to help. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it is an absolute, you talk about a win, 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 creating a social right. enterprise with your organization is the, is the best and healthiest thing you can do. Yeah. Um, we uh, we we are seeing more and more of that work because they'll you know they'll say, hey, we have a few things that we think we might that might make sense here that we want to turn into a way that we can we can make passive revenue, and we're starting to see a lot more of those types of engagements where our clients or our uh, nonprofits are coming to us and they're saying, hey, we want to do this. Can you will you vet these for us to determine what which direction we should go? Yeah. Or that helping. I mean, when they when they implement these plans, the probability of that organization sustaining long-term just took a parabolic curve towards the positive. Mm -hmm. So that, that is the, that's a good thing that we're seeing that trend sort of happen where we're going, where organizations are starting to think, Hey, how can we turn this into a business that we're making a product or providing a service to the general pop, general public and not having to rely on traditional forms of funding? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Well, Grant, I mean, I feel like you have to be a really good provider of good news because your name is Gooding. You guys heard it from from the one and only Grant Gooding. He has all the good news. Um, 
Yeah, I think social enterprises are super cool. I'd love to try to try to figure out something that even that we could do um, in that way. Because, like I said, I also I also feel like if a nonprofit starts dabbling in right, like what you might consider a for profit business, I think there's a lot of like cross learning that can happen in between like business practices of, of the two different types of, of companies and organizational stru- and structures. Um, so far, I haven't heard anybody that has said, "Oh, this was a terrible decision. We should never have done this." Right. It always opens a ton of doors. Yeah. Like there's there's a an organization I'm on the board of that's based here in Kansas City, New York. And they're a they're a seventy million dollar organization that instead of asking for money, they decided they were gonna take their the labor force that they were trying to help and actually put them to work and built business lines. And yeah. it's a seventy million dollar organization. They don't even, they don't even have to fundraise if they don't want to. Wow. I mean, they're completely accomplishing their mission through utilizing their the, the folks that they're trying to help. And they just said, why, why do we need anybody else? Let's just do it ourselves. And they did it and it's unbelievably successful. And it's, uh, it's like a um, yeah, good, goodwill did the same thing, right? That's right a, yeah, that's what I was thinking, yeah. Goodwill, same type of a thing, right? And look how, look how um, you, you can take a simple organization, a simple mission and just scale it and do a whole lot of good um, it, it's, uh, it's, a, it's game changing. Yeah. There was a woman that I interviewed back in October on the nonprofit radio podcast and she, they opened a kitchen, um, for individuals with neurodevelopmental disabilities. And now they're like a full fledged restaurant. And that is now like how they make it, which is super cool too. And you get to make this great appeal to like, Hey, you can go eat lunch somewhere or you can go eat lunch with us mm-hmm. and you can people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? They're all twisted folks. They're going to pick that ladder one, and it's 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 a leg up on another restaurant that doesn't have the same argument. Yeah, yeah, of course. Well, Grant, it's been a pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, well, thank you, Lee. Thanks for all your work. It was fun hanging out. Yeah, yeah, it was super fun. Um, and thanks to everyone who's listening. Um, make sure to tune in with us next week on the next episode of the Nonprofit Radio Podcast. Bye, everyone. Thanks for joining us for this Nonprofit Hub Radio podcast episode. For more resources on fundraising, marketing, and all things nonprofit, be sure to check out the number one nonprofit toolbox at nonprofithub.org. We hope you'll join us next week for another episode of the Nonprofit Hub Radio podcast.